there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Are you interested in breaking into digital journalism? Well, my next guest is a talented multimedia journalist who believes strongly that when you don't see what you want to do out there in the journalism field, you should get going and create it yourself. And that is exactly what she's doing. But before I introduce you to Nikki Mayo, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive peek inside that week's episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time4coffee.org and the sign-up box is right there on the homepage. And while you're there, you can check out the rest of the homepage where we've got all the episodes released to date organized by career. So if you want to learn more about how to break into this highly competitive field of journalism, you can listen to the many other talented journalists I've interviewed to date. And you can do that by clicking on the journalism and media box. Or if you're more interested in communications and PR, or perhaps legal and criminal justice, or or even healthcare, you can click on those boxes instead. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is self-described multimedia maven Nikki Mayo, who started and runs the eponymous Nikki Mayo News and is a full-time communication strategist among her many other talents and endeavors. Nikki also recently served as the first digital editor for the Philadelphia Tribune's phillytrib.com website and various social media accounts. She's also been a political analyst and contributor on Philadelphia's 900 AM WURD Reality Check with Charles Ellison. You may have seen and heard Nikki's work recently on TV One's News One Now or on its other shows, including Fatal Attraction, Justice by Any Means, and Thou Shalt Not. Nikki worked three years as a national correspondent for the Associated Press Network covering breaking news and as a member of the AP's race and ethnicity team. She was also a host for National Public Radio's station WAMU-FM 88.5 in Washington, D.C., and an anchor for 1430 WNAV Radio News in Annapolis. Nikki, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am geared up. What do you got? Okay, you're geared up, but are you caffeinated? I had coffee earlier. I'm moving on to tea. Don't blame me and don't judge me. <laughs> I, I am had, not judging. Do Absolutely not judge not. me. The jitters I, were getting me. I was so excited about talking to you today. I was like, okay, okay, okay. I have to slow down. And if I didn't bring that caffeine level down to some a nice light tea, I'd be bouncing you. off the walls talking to you right now. I hear you. And, you know, I am all about what works for your body. So mm-hmm. we should let our listeners know we're doing this interview mid-afternoon. It's not like it's first thing in the morning. So that totally makes sense. I had my Guatemalan roast early in the morning. Very nice. Yeah. So let us dive into our 10 espresso shots. And by the way, I should also let our listeners know that if they want to learn more about 
what Nikki is doing now, how she built her really cool and creative career, they should check out the show notes for this episode to see if the main T4C interview with Nikki has already dropped. Okay, first espresso shot, Nikki. What entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to break into journalism? There's always the researcher jobs when it's a big news organization or legacy organization. For newsrooms that are television and radio, there's those production assistant jobs. But I always say go for digital first. That's probably their home already. So why not go for what you know and then build off of that with the fundamentals of journalism? So those digital positions are often very open and welcoming to first timers. Great. And when you say digital, are you talking about Mm -hmm. working for social media outlets or are you talking about some of the production houses that are out there, not the CNNs or the MSNBCs, but kind of like TV one type operations. I'm pointing more to the fact that it seems like every news entity that is worth its salt has a digital component. So it might be their social media team. It may be the team that works to feed the website, maybe an audience engagement team. There's several different ways in which news organizations filter their material through the digital sphere because that audience lives past the screen of your television. The screen they're looking at these days is the screen on your mobile device. Not even your laptop sometimes, it's like your mobile device. So when you think about digital, think about, well, at the NPR station, how is stuff getting to the website? How are things getting to their social media accounts? That's the digital part I'm pushing people toward because those seem to be more welcoming to somebody that may have a little less talent or a little less experience yet. And then there you can grow because it's like second nature to have your phone glued to your hand. Why not get paid for that? (laughs) Absolutely. So, Nikki, what is a useful skill or skills that you've looked for over the years in the young people that you've hired? Okay, I always want to know, do you have the fundamentals of journalism down? Because I can't start from scratch if I'm your manager. What I can do, though, is develop from there. So you understand who, what, when, where, why. You have some passion behind wanting to tell an effective story. Then I can work with you on that. You tell me what your deepest interests are, and hopefully that can coincide with what my deficits and needs are as well as a manager. I need to make sure that we have our basic meat and potato stories covered. But there's fun stuff out there, too, that may, you know, spark the interest of a newbie. So why not work on that? Music festivals, arts exhibits and the likes, those lovely features that you always want to do and people say they don't have time to. Well, somebody fresh off the yard or off the quad, they're eager to do any story. So, you know, you kind of mix it up. And that way they have the fundamentals, maybe give them like 70, 30, like 70 percent hard news, death, injury and destruction, those things. And then the 30 percent, let it be creative. They just really want to do this. That way they have a healthy portfolio coming down the pipe. Absolutely. What about someone's major, Nikki? In Mm -hmm. your opinion, is it a deciding factor to get into journalism that they have studied journalism or that they studied communications? Is it a deal breaker if they haven't? It's not. I mean, I'm a walking testament to that. I have two degrees and neither one is a journalism degree. I just had a lot of internships. So I have a speech communication, which is now considered to be called uh, communications and rhetorical studies. And I have an African-American studies major. So I had both of those as uh, my majors. And now I have a dual degree as a result of that. 
But those sculpted and shaped how I see the world and also how I perceive my stories and deliver my stories. I need people to know or have an idea of how to dissect content. So, yes, I want you to have a journalism degree, but it is not a deal breaker at all. If you had an internship two to maybe three years out of your time in undergrad, then I'm looking more at what your clips say, what your reel has to offer. How you did in classes doesn't really tell me much. Yeah, absolutely. What about a grad school degree and less so for those entry-level jobs, more so for those young people who want maybe to run a news organization editorially or to run it from whatever the C-suite office is. Do they need a grad school degree? And if so, what are the best ones, the most useful ones to have? There are some things that help managers with people management. So I can totally back maybe an MBA or something that deals with civic engineering of sorts, like something that helps you understand how to work in small, medium, large groups, how to motivate folks. I don't know if it's a human resources or a management style thing for that. I would endorse it for that. But the same token, these are skills that you could possibly learn as a team builder throughout your years in an industry as well. Beyond that, I just kind of see when people get a master's degree, especially when it's a redundant master's degree, I find that to be wasteful. And it's primarily because the cost of education has skyrocketed to the point of if you have an undergrad degree in, let's say, broadcast journalism, right, then you should not be going and getting a master's in broadcast journalism. That's double dipping. You probably paid three times the amount for that master's degree just so it can reinforce what you already know. I say do it in something that will help you be an effective leader. And frankly, thanks to the Pointer Institute, the Knight Foundation and the Lenfest folks up in Philadelphia, you can get management training or have a mentor and everything to learn how to best people manage and have an effective newsroom. You don't have to spend a mortgage on a higher education that's not necessary. Yeah. Now, I know the Pointer Institute, the other two Mm -hmm. that you mentioned, do people who participate in those workshops, do they have to pay themselves out of pocket or is that the kind of thing that you're saying maybe they can get their employers to send them? It's a twofer. I know I ended up paying for some of my Pointer Institute, like travel, not the hotel, but I did pay for travel though. With the other ones, I think that they tend to have grants available for newsrooms. So again, you'd have to be sponsored by a newsroom. But even if you can't, I mean, if you want to be in charge of other people, if you want to have that, the pay raise that comes along with being a manager, then you need to invest in it the same way you probably would have invested in higher education and that master's degree. I mean, this is education. It's worth spending money on it to learn how to be an effective leader or at least to have a cohort around you or to have a reference to go back to like, hey, I'm kind of in a glitch. I need some expertise from a more seasoned manager. It's worth spending money on that type of networking and education. So even if it costs, let's say it costs $5,000, you're about to make about double or if not a third more than the people under you. So you need to be ready for that responsibility. No one likes a bad manager. Yeah, definitely. That is for <laughs> no one. sure. No like, one. It's worth the investment, people. Trust me. If you know that you have a hard time, the teacher in me had an advantage to being a manager, okay? In my opinion, there is no um, harder group to manage than teenagers. (laughs) I'm sorry. They have a mind of their own and they have adult uh, minds almost there. It's tough. 
And if you can manage 20 of them at a time on a regular basis and then like every hour, uh, you know, get a new batch of them and have to do it again and again and again, you learn how to cope, deal and get some cooperation from that type of a group. Oh, my goodness. I already had a huge amount of respect for you. And I can tell you, Nikki, as the mother of a 15 year old, my level of respect has just shot up even higher than it was before. Props to you. Please keep in mind, feather in the cap on this one. I was teaching high school and I had an eight year difference between me and my students. They just didn't know it. Yeah, I I blurted as much as I could, but I had students that were the same age as my little brother. So if I was able to do people management with teenagers who are obviously as big as I am and they were brilliant, they were absolutely brilliant people. I had a fun time teaching them. And then when I finally got the luxury of teaching tweens and teens, then I got to see the difference in uh, maturity. And I was like, okay, I got to be ready for kids when I finally have them because these kids, whew. (laughs) (laughs) They are a whole nother kind of entity unto themselves. Yes. Yes. So Nikki, what kind of life experiences other than teaching tweens and teens do you think are most useful for someone starting out in the field of journalism? I don't suggest everybody teach kids if you don't like kids, by the way. I want to put that disclaimer out there because some people are horrible with young people. Work a job that is public facing. And I know for introverts, I have everyone cringing right now, but just something simple like waitressing, be a clerk at a retail store like Target or something like that. Something where you have to interact with people that are different every day. That really helps you a lot in journalism because people come in with their own backstories and sometimes you're going to hear them. And you can't brush everybody off with a, well, that's not my problem. Because when you become a journalist, you have to find creative ways to get the story out of people. And typically on a deadline situations, you're not given the luxury of uh, time to massage and learn a person over over days. No, you have a couple minutes. So that's why clerk position or something where you just had a whole rotation of new people every day, that will get you ready for journalism. Probably get you ready for a lot of other stuff too. But I know for journalism in particular, because Those man on the street interviews will be brutal if you have never had to deal with anybody outside of your protective bubble. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I've done my fair share of man on the street interviews. They're they're forced (laughs) sometimes. Oh, yeah. And what about the worst kind? And I just say this because it's the most cringeworthy for the reporters having to go and interview someone who's lost a loved one. You know, someone whose child was kidnapped or I mean, these are some of the most difficult interviews to do. You are meeting them on their worst day, the worst day of their life. Some people are naturals with it. I'm a natural because I'm an empath. Empathy is all over me. And so I can kind of relate a little bit, even if I've never had the whole death, injury and destruction issue that we're talking about at times happen to me. I'm good with that. But I've seen some people struggle with it. And what happens typically in a newsroom is that after a couple of times of sending out, uh, let's call him Jim, if you keep sending Jim out and he can't get a decent soundbite at a funeral or home going, after a while, you're going to stop sending Jim to these events because he's not representing you the best right there. It's not looking good when it comes to this person being empathetic to the situation of people that he's talking to. You need to kind of learn those legs if you don't have that already. And if that is not your talent, that is something that needs to be massaged and worked out. Definitely. Absolutely. Especially for someone, as so many of us do, start 
doing local news because that is sort of the bread and butter of your community is covering those stories. So, Nikki, what is the best part for you of being in the field of journalism? I used to have a blog called Ordinary People's and Extraordinary Stories. And I love the fact that you could find something amazing about almost every person if you tried. So it became like a scavenger hunt or an adventure. What place am I going to go to today or what interesting person am I going to meet today? The extrovert in me loves that stuff. So that's what I live for is the everyday adventure that journalism allows you to have. And you're always a learner. I mean, you're just a student of life at that point. I give to it. I love it. It it makes me nerd out. I'm totally for it. (laughs) And the flip side, because every career, every job has aspects that are really tough. And I'm guessing that you have days that have their ups and downs, too. What is the part of being in a newsroom working, let's say, in local news that sucks Mm -hmm. the most? Oh, gosh. A lot of it comes down to this constant struggle to show the humanity in people that are not considered to be mainstream or not considered pretty much people of color. I got so tired of it. I was blessed to be able to work in a lot of black press organizations, but to sit alongside folks that I care about and respect and we we both have educations and then have like, let's say something comes across a crime blotter story and it's a death. It's someone was shot in the street. If the person had a mugshot, it was like, well, they deserve to die. I'm like, whoa, wait, 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 what what are we doing here? No one deserves to die. Constantly be hit with that to hear like people's real gut visceral reaction to death is, oh, they deserve to die. I just kind of found it being very painful after a while because I'm like, how many times do I have to bring my coworkers to the mat and remind them that that could be my little brother right there. That could be me. It could be anybody. And you're just assuming that from where they lived or Heaven forbid they had like a a prior record of something that they deserved to die. That became the norm because local news, like we said, bread and butter, that A block is filled with death, injury and destruction, D.I.D. A lot of these deaths are people that could have easily been your classmate. They could have been a friend of the family. They could have been your family. But to see that, let's be straight, a lot of these local newsrooms are manned by people who are passing through. They are not from said areas. Every place I went into, I was able to see the humanity and whoever I was covering. But yeah, the biggest pain in the butt for me has always been having to remind people that, yeah, I know you may not have grown up around a lot of folks like me, but the reality of life is that we have lives too. We are humans. And I don't really want to have to do that because I'm looking at you like, why do you have this job? (laughs) You shouldn't be in here. But that is the logistics of it. I was hoping by 2019 we could stop having conversation, but here we are and it's still happening. Let's pray to 2020 gets better. I don't know. <laughs> I interviewed Eugenia Harvey, who is the executive producer of two of the multimedia platforms at WNET, the public radio station in New York. And Eugenia's had a very long, incredibly successful career in broadcast news. And as an African-American woman, she raised with me just one example of how there was a young man who was being interviewed for a job and the other executive with Eugenia, who happened to be a white man, commented on how this young man didn't smile. There was something off about him. He didn't smile. And she said, well, could it be that he was listening to you? And just 
again, it was an example that she was trying to provide of how having a person of color in the room in an executive position was so instrumental time and again to provide another perspective that ends up really, I mean, in the case of this young man who ended up getting hired, he might not have gotten the job because he wasn't smiling during an interview in which he happened to be paying attention and listening to what this person said and how sometimes there are these signals Mm -hmm. that are sent because you have people who are more often than not white male who are running the show. And it sounds to me like you experienced a lot of this same discriminatory reaction. It helps to have various voices and individuals at the proverbial table. The degree that I mentioned in the beginning, communications and rhetorical studies, we spent a lot of time breaking down what are some cultural norms, not just in the United States, but just global standpoint. And if you decide that I'm just going to pay attention to my American eyes and how America does stuff and This guy didn't smile, so he must be up to something. Well, there's a lot of cultures where staying quiet and literally just paying attention with your eyes, that's all you do until it's time for you to chime in. But if you don't pay attention to how other folks actually conduct themselves in various cultures, like some places don't even make eye contact. That's their thing. That doesn't mean that they're scared of you or that they're being deceptive. It's a sign of respect. But again, you have to open up your view. Your view needs to be a little bit more, I would say, national and global that you allow these things to happen. But going back to that one manager questioning, well, he didn't smile. I remember early in my career, I got written up for not smiling enough. Because I was like, well, I'm always smiling, but I'm very attentive. Like I'm, I'm scared right now. I'm doing like everything I can to be the best production assistant ever. Then I got written up for talking too much. I'm like, okay, I can't win this game, guys. I don't know, what do you want from me? I'm confused. Let's see, I went to the job force 2001, like, and then 9-11 happened. I'm finding myself now having these same conversations, counseling young people through their very first jobs. And what hurts me more is that I'm an expert on it, but I'd rather not be an expert on this. And then the other thing is, why is this still allowed that you're literally writing people up because they're not smiling enough or you're questioning whether or not to hire somebody because you don't feel comfortable around them? Well, what about them made you uncomfortable? Because it might be more telling of the individuals uncomfortable than of the potential candidate. I had this conversation yesterday. I was like, girls should not have to morph themselves, or sorry, women should not have to morph themselves into men to be a leader. Let's say you're an executive producer position or something that's a decision maker in a newsroom. It should not be, you got to wear a pantsuit every day. You got to talk lower now all of a sudden. And you have to be very macho. Like, no, be who you are and still be authoritative at the same time. Black people should not have to morph and change themselves into a passable, palatable black person. You're working in a newsroom. Surely you can be a team leader that can foster cooperation and, if anything, this lovely comfortableness that you need when you need everybody to do their job. It should not be I have to literally change my vernacular, my dialect. We all do that whole Midwestern sound thing in broadcast. So I can't really say that's part of the problem, although NPR has addressed that several times about that NPR sound. It's a real thing, people. Go Google it, and then you'll really be interested in how that has been playing out over the past five years. But we change ourselves so much, and I think we lose a little bit of that so-called diversity that we asked for. Like, if you really want diversity, then allow people to be the diverse entities that you asked for. Otherwise, you're just pretty much like lining up wallpaper to take pictures, and you're not asking for their voices at all. 
Yeah. I got to tell you, this is reminding me of Taylor Swift's new song. Oh, yeah. It's called Calm (laughs) Down, and it's really about the way that people are reacting to the LGBTQ community, but I think we could have that song apply to people of color as well and the way that we respond to them, in this case, in the field of journalism as young professionals who are coming up. So let me pivot now to another espresso shot, and that is, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Nikki? Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. It sounds so cliche, but it's so accurate. If you have the foundations of journalism, if you understand what effective storytelling is, if you always show up to work with the gear that you're supposed to have, because keep in mind, most of my career was a one man band or one woman band journalist or MMJ, stay ready. So you're not sitting there scuffling and losing your entire mind trying to get your gear together and trying to like understand how to put a story together in under a half hour. You know how to do these things because you've been working on this for a while. And it makes you feel better when you like accomplish something like, whoa, just knock that out. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the crowd goes wild. Like, you know, that's the feeling that I get whenever the advice pans out to success. You're like, yes, they didn't tell me a bunch of crap. It's the truth. It really is. <laughs> it so really is. Stay ready. Be ready. It's stay ready so you don't have to get ready. The mindset is that that scuffling to get ready. That's where you lose a lot of your gold, a lot of your talent, a lot of the the little embellishments and bows and fun stuff that you could put into a story. You don't get to do that because you spent too much time trying to get essentials down. So that does mean showing up on time. So you have extra time. It does mean you better have the basic skeleton of the story together before you start talking about, I want to put a music bed on something or I want sound effects or I want a cool transition. Did you get the who, what, when, where, why first? No? Okay, let's go back to that first, because I don't care how much you gloss up something. A bad story is a bad story. (laughs) They say something about (laughs) lipstick on a pig, right? (laughs) Yeah, like it's still a pig, y'all. So (laughs) give me foundations and then build from there. And I attract, by the way, I attract a lot of newbies because I do a lot of fun stuff. I got the whole crazy graphics package and I do stuff on Adobe effects for my clients. And I attract a lot of younger people who just graduate. I want to work with you. And I'm like, I need you to go learn how to tell a story first. And then you can come talk to me because they're like, I know how to cut like really cool video. What's your goal? Um, I don't know. Yeah, go get them foundational things done real quick <laughs> and then holler back at me. By the time you get your foundation done, I'll probably also have enough money to hire you. Well, that's the teacher in you for sure. Yeah. You have to. Otherwise, they w- everybody wants to come on a TV one shoot with me. They all want to like chase down and talk to entertainment people. And what I have to keep telling them is that it takes a second to get to the point where you're not standing in front of a famous person and looking like a total idiot. You don't want to be that embarrassing viral moment on a video. No one does. <laughs> Just yeah, You're saving them from themselves. <laughs> somebody has to do it. <laughs> so, Nikki, two final espresso shots. Sure. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows or books do you think accurately depict the field of journalism? And we've been kind of few and far between on that. And I hate The Wire, so I don't want to give them credit. (laughs) But that one season of The Wire in the newsroom did it accurately for the newspaper heads. Mm. We've been enemy of the people for the last couple of years, so nothing recent. That's a call to action for somebody out there future documentarian or whatnot. 
I grew up, though, liking Murphy Brown, but I knew that was not really accurate. It was just fun to watch, though. And I did not like the Murphy Brown reboot, by the way, people. It, they needed to just leave it alone. It was. <laughs> yes. I didn't I was see sad. the reboot. I did watch the original, of course. Nobody else did either, because why we're not looking at it anymore is that bad. True. And I'm Candace Bergen, but no, um, I liked Murphy Brown because when I was a kid, I was someone you could look at and she's like, she's a reporter. I want to be like her. And she had those ugly pantsuits on, too. But beyond that, it wasn't about her outfit. It was about the fact that she got these really cool, heavy national stories. And I'm like, oh, all right, that's nice. So you complement that with the real reporters that were on TV. And you had a lot to look up to. They don't do us a good service. Somebody make this show. Yeah, we need this show to be done. We need it. We need it. Okay, final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about this profession, Nikki? That it does not pay well. I don't know if that's gotten out yet, but it does not pay well because of recent hiring practices. At one point, I was told back in the 90s, people got paid pretty nicely and not just one or two key anchors like the entire staff. I jumped into this industry right after we got attacked. So I have yet to see the really lucrative career. It's one of those that they chase it down with. You have to be passionate about it to do it. I think that's number one, because I think they see a lot of the lights, camera, action, don't realize that, especially for those starting out, that those stipends for makeup, hair, or anything else that you might need to look presentable, air quotes, on air, you're paying for out of your little piddly, sad pay. So not a fan. Um, What else about our industry? The smoking mirrors of it all, like real talk, I have a really great 15, 16-inch Mac over here with Adobe, everything, the whole creative suite on it. I can make you look so much bigger than you actually are by, you know, the virtue of some graphics, some music, and some cool camera shots. A lot of the smoke and mirrors. I've met people who thought that I was a good 5'7". I am a whopping 5, maybe almost 1. So a lot of this looks way more like extravagant because it's on video and there's motion graphics and it just kind of pulled you in. And no, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, folks. Most of your favorites at NPR are really struggling when it comes financially. Your local favorites, not your national favorites, your local favorites. Money is in the management. It's definitely not in um, the quote unquote talent. And I, I wish people knew that. I meet more people who want me to shoot their pilot. And I'm like, why do you want a show? I want a TV show because I'm like, why do you want a TV show? And they're like, because that means you made it. Yeah, like in 1995, you know, you can do something online right now. Seriously, you don't really even need me. Like, come on. But people are really into the mindset that TV is the top. But how much streaming service are you watching? How much stuff on YouTube are you watching? Like, I don't know what it's going to take for people to take their mindset of what journalism is and where they're getting it. They don't realize they're getting most of the information that they're imbibing. They're getting it online. I I always laugh and I'm confused by people talking about their loyalty to a local television station. I'm like, so when's the last time you sat down for the five o'clock news? Crickets. Okay, so, but you're so loyal to them. What did you see them? Oh, well, I saw my Facebook feed. I saw my uh, Twitter. So you saw all these things digitally. You know, you're not watching the news at 5, 5, 36, 10 and 11. You're watching it when you feel like it. And that's what most of digital and online is. It's there 24 seven before those five o'clock newscasts and before those on the hour reports. Start looking at where you're getting your material from and then I'll probably start shaping how you perceive journalism today in 2019 and 2020. 
Nellis of Gray, folks. Well, I think that is fantastic insight to share with people. And it's so important for our young listeners to know that go into this industry with eyes wide open. You are not necessarily going to be retiring at age 30 because you just hit the jackpot. It is a really, really tough competitive industry. So you better love it to go into it. Nikki, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee, whether it's time for coffee or time for tea with me this afternoon. I have so enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.